tired. You guys tired back there? Can I get you guys all to stand up? Can we just... All I see is sleepy faces, okay? Now here's what we're going to do first. Arms out. Everyone just kind of wiggle a little. Wiggle, 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 wiggle. Okay, bounce. Bounce in your place. Everyone, come on. All you tired people, bounce. Okay, now sit down. Got a smile out of a couple of you. All right. So who here is familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the couple loaves of bread and couple fish? Okay. Some of you familiar with that? All of you probably are, just some of you are still asleep. Um, what I'm going to be talking about today is what takes place after that. So this is the next day. Um, Jesus has already left this place. His disciples took off across the lake. He walks on water to go to where they are. And the people all come seeking him the next day. So they come walking up. They're like, Rabbi, when did you come here? And he goes, you are not seeking me because of the signs that I showed you. You aren't seeking me for what I've done. You're seeking me because your stomachs are now empty. He's saying that the only reason they came across to find him is because they want more free bread. Okay. Um, Now, kind of funny, but they, they just keep going on with this point of bread. They ask him. They say, well, what about the manna from heaven? And he goes, you guys are focused on the things of this earth, whereas for you, what I have is eternal, eternal bread. The bread that I have for you will give you eternal life. Now they say, why, uh, what must we do? What are the works of God where we can, where we can do these things? And he says, simply, you must believe. All you have to do is believe. He says that he came down from heaven to be the bread of this earth to be the, the bread that will bring life. Now, I know Daniel preached on this a few weeks ago, um, which if it was any longer than like this morning, you guys already forgot it. But this whole passage is, is very deep, very complicated, and he just keeps going over and over again about being the living bread. So we are, by the way, we're in John 6, if anyone wants to look there. Um, we'll be in 60 through 71. What I'm summarizing right now is 22 uh, through 59. So we pick up in verse 51 here. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And this is Jesus saying this to the huge crowd that's gathered around him. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And this is where it gets kind of weird. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So pretty much he said, if you want to live forever, you need to eat this eternal bread, and I am that bread. So Jesus pretty much told all these people that they need to eat him. Um, kind of weird. But it just gets weirder, right? So these people start grumbling, and they're like, they're like how are we supposed to eat your flesh? And uh, I, I think that's an accurate response. I mean, if somebody said, I'm the way to eternal life, take a bite, you know, that'd be a little weird. It makes a little more sense to us because we're coming from a place where we're familiar with communion, where the bread is Jesus's, okay, and then the the wine or juice is his. Okay, so that makes sense to us. When did that start, though? That started at the Last Supper, which hasn't taken place yet. So when he starts talking about these things, it's weird. So the whole next section 
when they ask that, they start grumbling. How are we supposed to eat your flesh? He says, truly, truly, I say to you that if you do not eat my flesh and you do not drink my blood, you won't enter into eternal life. That apart from that, you can't have eternal life and no matter what you do, unless you're eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And it's just really, really weird. He just repeats this over and over again. It makes a little more sense to us, but try to put yourself in their shoes and at that time. And this just sounds kind of crazy. So anyways, this is where we pick it up in verse 60. I'm going to read it through once. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to tear it apart. So it's uh, John 6, verse 60, if any of you care to follow along. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that was going to betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, is going to betray him. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, what you did for us on the cross, Lord. I just pray in this time that our ears are opened and our eyes are open to uh, what you want us to see out of this. Um, this confusing passage that, Lord, it can just make you more clear to us that we can uh, come to understand you a little bit better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this first passage here. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So, Obviously, we have the um, we have the like given reason of why this would be confusing. Jesus just told them to eat him. Okay, so that's confusing. That's weird. None of them are understanding this. They came seeking bread, and all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, "Well, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you can't know eternal life." So, what are some of the other reasons that this is something hard for them to accept? Now. The prophets, when they said that the Messiah was going to come again, you guys remember Moses in the desert and how he made it uh, rain down manna from heaven so that they could eat and be sustained? Well, when the prophets said that the coming Messiah was going to come again, this miracle of manna was supposed to be reinstated. So here they are, and they see Jesus, they see these signs, and they're expecting him to create this miracle of manna again. They're expecting this to start again. Also, another thing, when he says he came down from heaven, now, he's very near his hometown right now. People know him. They know his parents. They're like, wait, isn't this the son? And didn't we, like, see him from the time he was a child? And, you know, so they know Jesus. So when he says he came down from heaven, they have a hard time believing that. Um, So anyways, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, 
do you take offense at this? So, first of all, he knows what's going on in the crowd. He's not just sitting up there and he's not just preaching. And, you know, I can't look out over this and say who's going to believe me or who's not. Um, I can tell who's paying attention or not because I don't see eyes. But other than that, I don't know who's going to walk away from this actually believing. Whereas Jesus, he knew what was happening. He knows that people are getting offended. He knows that people are, are not really taking this in. So when he says, do you take offense at this? It's not just, oh, sorry, did I offend you? It means, is this causing you to stumble? Is this making you question what you truly believe? Because it was. He's saying things that just don't fit up with how they thought it was going to be. They came seeking one thing, and they're given something else. Now, when he says um, in this next passage here, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, this is two things. One, he said that he descended from heaven, that he's the bread given by the Father, came down from heaven. So he says that. So in one sense, he's saying, if I were to ascend back up from heaven, would this offend you more? Meaning, if you're believing what you're believing now, would that be more offensive? Or possibly, he's saying, would that make you believe? If I could ascend, you don't believe that I descended. So if I were to ascend, would you then believe what I have to say? It is the spirit who gives life, verse 63. The flesh is no help at all. So this part here, obviously, whenever we hear the spirit, we usually think of the Holy Spirit, right? But it's more than that in this passage. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. These guys showed up to Jesus hungry, right? They want bread. And that's all they can think about. What Jesus is trying to do here is get their focus from fleshly bread to the spiritual bread that he's actually talking about. The idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood is the idea of becoming one with Jesus. So the flesh is no help at all. Their, their desires, the things that they're seeking, aren't going to do uh, what they want it to do. The, the manna that they're pursuing, that their fathers ate and died anyways, they need to be pursuing this spiritual bread. But there are some of you who do not believe. I skipped a part there. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So he's saying again that what I just said, what I'm saying about this bread, everything else is spirit and life. It has nothing to do with something that you're going to consume and fill your stomachs with. This is what it's all about. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were and did not believe and who it would be that would betray him. So here he's saying he already knows who's not going to believe him. Now, if I was preaching a sermon like I am now and I knew that all of you guys weren't going to believe, I don't know if I'd actually waste my breath or not. But Jesus, on the other hand, he already knew that people weren't believing. Yet here he is sharing all this with them. The day before, he already knew then. He knows now. And, and he still took the time to share all this with them. And he said, so this is right after that. If you skip that little part that John wrote in there. But there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Many of you are familiar with the, the age-old argument of predestination versus free will. 
Now this touches on there a little bit, um, and it can be a really confusing topic. Uh, but right here, he's he's already said this earlier in the text. He said to them that you guys aren't going to understand unless the Father grants that. So pretty much, if the Father does not draw the people into Jesus, uh, they aren't going to get it. He says this, one, so people that are around that do believe, so that they aren't going to be perplexed when other people don't believe. You know, sometimes they're like, oh, I don't get it. Why don't you believe? You heard the same things I did, yet I believe and you don't. Why is that? Well, apart from a divine miracle, you're expected to not believe. I mean, it, it doesn't quite make sense. If you hear this about eating flesh and drinking blood and Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven and all this stuff, if your eyes aren't open to those things, you aren't really going to understand it. Without being given the grace by the Father to have your eyes open, sinners usually will prefer to stay in their sin. So unless your eyes are open to it through grace, it's not, it's not your own deciding like, oh, I'm going to believe today. You know, you, it, it doesn't work like that. You don't just get to decide, and it's not a deeper state of understanding. It's grace that we're able to believe. If you have any questions on predestination, uh, Matt would be happy to talk to you about this. <clears throat> uh, so anyways, so we move on to verse 66 here. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, when it says no longer walked with him, it doesn't just mean they like turned back and wandered on and, you know, had fond thoughts of Jesus. No, it means that they turned away. After hearing all these things, their hearts were closed off. It was disbelief. They didn't want to walk with Jesus anymore. And they no longer believed what he said. And they walked away for good. It's a tone of finality there. How am I on time? What do we got there? 1225? Okay. Um, so we move on to verse 67. So now we have this whole group that had followed him from the day before to where he is now. He gives this big old sermon and the people are just struck with misbelief and they walk away. So Jesus turns to the 12 who are left. And uh, if all of you except for 12 were to just get up and walk away, I'd be a little depressed. So... I mean, Jesus is just awesome that he already knew people were going to walk away. He knew that people weren't going to believe, yet he just pushed on. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Now, when he says this, it has a negative kind of note on it. You know, he's almost expecting a negative answer. Like, are you 12? You just watched hundreds and thousands of people walk away. Are you guys going to walk away as well? And Peter's answer here is just beautiful. So Simon Peter answered him. We're at verse 68 now. Lord, I'm going to pause there because sometimes in Scripture, when they say Lord, you know, they're just talking about a master. They're talking about somebody that is, uh, has authority over them. They're talking about somebody that is important. But when he says Lord here, what he's saying is your deity. It, it's, it's talking about his overall lordship saying that he is who he says he is. Not just a polite Lord, but saying you are Lord. Lord, to whom shall we go? That question is one that you guys should ask yourselves often. When you're stuck looking at people walking away or whatever else, that's a question you should ask. Between Jesus and whom else? 
Who else can satisfy you like Jesus can? He was so certain because it wasn't long ago where Peter had his own life. It wasn't long ago where Jesus called him out of that life to follow him. He could have easily walked away and gone back to those things, just like all these other people did. Yet he knows in his heart that nothing else will satisfy. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He's somewhat mimicking what Jesus had already said. Um, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's acknowledging that what Jesus has said makes sense to him. Maybe not all of it, because like I said, they haven't done communion yet. They haven't done... So some of that stuff is still really weird. And as you see in other parts of scripture, I mean, some of the parables where his disciples are like, yeah, good teaching Jesus. And like a few verses later, they're like, so what did that mean? Like, we don't get it. This could very well be what's happening here too, but they've come to a place of understanding where they actually trust in what he said. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So they believe and they have come to know, meaning that they haven't just believed this one sermon, but they have reached a place of understanding, of belief that is going to carry forth from that point on. Another word to use for that is faith. They've come to a place of faith where even when it's confusing, they still get what he's saying. They believe his teaching and they understand what he's doing. A deeper understanding. Holy one of God, we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God. That term for Jesus is one that we don't find very often. It's actually only in scripture one other time, but it's used as like holy one of Israel quite often. But it's obvious that what he's saying here is that you are not of man, you are of God. What he says is very clear, and what he says is, we have faith in you. You are the Lord, you are our God. So he says all that right there. Um, Peter's pretty awesome. He like either fails really, really big, or he like does something really, really good. Like he's never in between. He's never just like there, you know. He's the first one to speak up. Like, you guys going to walk away too? Peter's like, no, of course, us 12. Like we believe in you, you know. He speaks for everyone and he's just like all in all the time. And I, I love Peter for that. Um, a lot of us, like, we're kind of like, eh. Like you guys going to walk away too? I don't know. Like, it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to follow you no matter what because I believe in everything. It's kind of like, well, walking away would be kind of depressing. But, you know, as far as like following you, I I guess that's okay. You know, and Peter's just all in all the time. I love that. So anyways, moving on. Verse 70 here. um, This is where it gets confusing again. And uh, a little bit more about that whole predestination idea. Jesus answered them. Did I not choose you, the 12? So the 12 that he's sitting there talking to, did he actually choose them to believe? Or is he just talking about simply, I chose you? You know, you guys are fishing and I walk up and chose you. You know, you're hanging out under a tree and I saw that, so I chose you to follow me. He is talking about that, but also what he's saying is, I chose you guys. The reason that you're here and you believe is because I chose you. It was by grace that you believe. You aren't here and you don't believe because of your own understanding. You as Christians, 
those of you who call yourselves Christians in this room, you aren't better than anyone else because you believe, because you've come to this place of understanding. It is simply grace. And you should thank God for that grace that your eyes have been opened. Um, the people around you that don't believe, now, if they're hearing the same words as you, yeah, it's partly on them because they do need to take that step in faith. But you aren't better than anyone else just because you believe. It's not your superior intellect. But another thing here, and this is just a personal thought, um, maybe Jesus puts this in there so that we all have that friend that doesn't believe. We all have that friend, whether it's at school or in your family or whatever else, that doesn't believe and, and you get frustrated. I mean, you're telling them the same things that like got to your heart. And you're saying, hey, like, like why, why don't you get it? Why don't you get it? And it's not our responsibility to make them believe. You guys get that? Without, without Christ, without the Father, without grace opening their eyes, they aren't going to believe, and it's not our duty to make somebody believe. Don't be frustrated if they can't. Now, like Jesus, you still need to share the word. You still need to spread what's going on. But it is not your responsibility to have some magical quote or whatever else, this certain verse that's just going to snap somebody into belief. That's not your responsibility. Uh, God takes that as his responsibility. Um, this is where Jesus gets a little harsh. So, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. Ouch. Can you imagine being Peter and we're like, yeah, we believe, we're with you, we're with you. Yeah, well, I chose you, and one of you is a devil. Like, what do you do at that point? You, like, look at the person to the sides, like, what? Like, what's going on? So, of course, it, it goes on to say here in 71, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he one of the 12 was going to betray him. So now this is a little more insight into how much Jesus knew just in seeing of people. So he would look into that crowd and he would know what's in each and every one of them. So looking to his 12, who Peter just claimed that they are all believers, he knows that one of them is going to betray him. He knows that one of them, Satan is working on. One of them, Satan is trying to get to deceive Jesus. Now that's a scary thought. Um, you see another part in scripture in Luke 22, verse 31. This is Jesus talking to Simon again, Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Uh, you know what Jesus did for him there? He said, I'll pray for you. Thanks, Jesus. You know, like... Satan demanded to have you so that he could sift you, so he could see what you're all about, see that if your faith will stay strong. And Jesus prayed for him. As believers, we aren't safe from Satan. Satan is at work, whether in the midst of our lives or a friend's life or whoever else. And we don't know what fully lays within somebody. We don't know whether or not the devil is at work in our close friends. And that's a scary thought. So, not only is Jesus showing his ability to see in people, but he's showing his love for those that even, even as the devil is taking hold of him, he still 
preaching to him. He's still showing him love. He's still walking with him. You know, we have to stay firm in our faith that as Jesus is, um, is up ahead and as we're following Jesus and Satan's coming along and he's trying to distract, he's trying to take our friends down, anything else, we need to stay strong in that. So confusing bit of scripture there, but there's a specific reason on why I chose this. And the reason is because now that a lot of you are back in school, some of you are homeschooled, but a lot of you have friends outside of that. Um, is there anyone in here that like doesn't know a non-believer? Good. You're lying. Um, when we're out in the world, we're the minority. Most places that we go whether it's just out and about, whether we're at a coffee shop, unless, of course, you're at Origin. Um, If you're grocery shopping, if you're at your school, your group of friends, even your close friends, even some of you, your families, a lot of times you're the minority as a believer. Now, Jesus fed 5,000. Most of them followed him across the lake. He was left with 12, 12 disciples out of all those people that heard his words. That's depressing. You guys are going to experience people walking away. You guys are going to experience people that are coming, seeking only what they think Jesus is supposed to be. Now, these people came with wrong motives. They came seeking bread. They came seeking signs. They came seeking these things that wasn't what Jesus was. Jesus is saying, I am what you're seeking that I am life. I am eternal life. Belief in me is what gets you that eternal life. You're seeking bread that your fathers had and they all perished in the desert. Why are you seeking these fleshly things? Why are you seeking Jesus to get something whereas what he's giving you is himself? This idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood is becoming one with Jesus. To live in daily communication with him, to be consuming his word on a daily basis, to become one with Jesus so that he can keep you strong when you're out and about with everyone else. A lot of us experience what it's like to have a close friend that doesn't know Jesus. And what we're to do is to stay faithful to Jesus, to follow him, and to do our best to do whatever Jesus tells us to do when he tells us to do it. It is our responsibility to follow. It is our responsibility to share the words of Jesus and to preach his name. But it's not our responsibility to save somebody. All of you that are out there and you're feeling down because those around you aren't believing. You're feeling hurt because a good friend doesn't understand and you think they should. Those of you that see people all day long at school that just don't get it, pray for them. Pray for that grace to come over them. Pray for God to open their eyes. And you guys, in the meantime, follow Jesus with everything you had. Be like Peter. As you're seeing other people fall away and go do different things, all you freshmen that just got into high school, I mean, a lot of you are going to be experiencing this in a big way right now. 
But as these people are falling away and going to all these different things that they think are going to satisfy them because they don't know what Jesus actually has for them, if you've come to know that, your question should be, to whom shall I go? To what shall I go? What is going to satisfy me like Jesus does? This belief of Jesus is what's satisfying me. This daily bread, his sacrifice on the cross that pulls us out of this sin, that should be what satisfies you. To where when you're looking around and you're seeing all these other options of these things that you think might satisfy you, look back to what Peter said. And it didn't matter what his friends were doing. It didn't matter what his other disciples were doing. He was so certain in that moment, to whom shall I go? You're going to trip up. You're going to have fallbacks. Simon himself denied Christ three times at the end. That's going to happen. But when Satan comes to sift you, be strong so that your faith won't waver in the end. So that when you come back to Christ, that you know him again and that he can be enough. Don't turn to other things. Don't turn to other people. Don't go off with what your friends are doing. Instead, stay close to Jesus and let him guide, through, guide you through your years of high school. It's the only way you're going to survive because there's going to be temptation around every corner. There's going to be different directions you can go. There's going to be so much coming up in front of you. Keep that question in mind. Who else is going to satisfy you like Jesus? Because I can tell you, no one will. Nothing will. No drugs, no parties, no uh, popularity, no sports, no people, no girlfriend, no boyfriend. None of that is going to satisfy you like Christ can. Know who he is. Be in daily communication with him. Consume of him daily and let him become one with you so that you can survive. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord. We thank you that you came down from heaven and offered yourself up as our sacrifice. Lord, that you want us to become one with you, that you are our bread, that your flesh is, is for us to consume, that your blood is for us to consume, that we may become one with you, that we can know you deeply and have faith in you. That as others are walking away, Lord, and it can be frustrating and it can get, get us down and it can, can make us waver a bit in our faith, Lord. I just pray that you keep us strong, that you keep our eyes open to you and to only you and that we don't get sidetracked by others. Jesus, thank you for who you are in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Hey guys, give it up for Brett. Take the of the word. I I hope you guys heard every bit of that because um, that passage is 